0: world of work podcast with james
1: and jane hi everyone this is jane and just before we get into this episode i want to remind you of all the really great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io over there you can check out all the online seminars and workshops we do as well as our team development programs you'll also find articles on topics to help you thrive at work so that's www.worldofwork.io now let's get on to the episode
0: Hello, this is Jane.
1: And this is Jane.
0: And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. What are we speaking about today, Jane?
1: Well, today we are talking about one of my favorite subjects. We are talking about job crafting. And we're going to be talking with Rob Baker, who is the author of a book called Personalization at Work. And he is also the founder of a consultancy that goes out and helps organizations and people learn how to job craft so that they have a better experience of work.
0: Great. I'm looking forward to it. Let's get into the conversation. Okay, so here we are in the main body of today's podcast, and we're really lucky to be joined by Rob Baker, Um, and we're going to be having a conversation about job crafting and some of the things that we can do to personalise and and change our experiences in the world of work. Um, Before we get into that too much, though, Rob, would you be able to introduce yourself and say a little bit more about yourself and your background to the audience?
2: Yeah, sure. First of all, can I say thanks so much for for inviting me on? I'm a a fan of the show as a consumer, so delighted to be here. And, and yeah, my name is Rob Baker. I'm the founder and chief positive deviant of tailored thinking and we're positive psychology, wellbeing and HR consultancy. And we strive to bring kind of evidence based ideas and practical uh, ideas to life within organisations based on the fields of positive psychology and behaviour science. So we're focused on making work better in an evidence, um, practical, engaging way.
0: That's fabulous. And and that's such an important thing to do. And that combination of evidence-based within this space, as well as focusing on the the positivity and improving work really speaks to us and connects with sort of our our vision and purpose of of what work can do and how work can contribute to our lives. Um, Before we get, you know, too deep into job crafting, we'd like to start a little bit at the beginning and start fairly high level, maybe for people who don't know so much about this. If we start at the very beginning, when we're speaking about job crafting and and the crafting of our job experiences, I guess. What exactly is it that we're
2: talking about? What, what, what is it? Sure, so job crafting is the way I define it is around proactively shaping how we act, interact and think about our work. So there's kind of three components there. So it's around maybe making small uh, iterative changes to our tasks or activities, maybe in terms of how we interact with other people and and also how we think about the, the purpose and the value and the meaning of the, the work and the different activities that we, that we do. And job crafting in itself is around Um, isn't so much as kind of um, tearing out your job descriptions and kind of redesigning your job uh, fundamentally although some people have used it to do that very often in when people actually craft in real life it's around making small iterative improvements but in ways that actually tap into people's strengths their passions their talents their interests so you're kind of making your job a better fit to you as an individual and and bringing your kind of more of your strengths your passions your interests to what you do
0: yeah so would you say it's more evolution than revolution is
2: that fair i would say so very much my approach is very iterative so some people um are saying that actually could be more kind of revolutionary in the fact that people can radically redesign their job through job crafting but my Mm -hmm. approach to kind of encourage people to do this and where i've seen i've had most sustainable success with organizations is by doing the kind of small experiments iterative and continuous improvement really in terms of the in terms of the job itself
0: yeah, and, and you know, this is clearly something that you're passionate about, you write about it, you speak about it a lot. And I guess a question for me is, is why is this topic so important to you? How does it fit within, um, I guess, the objectives of your, your organisation and, and your individual drive to to improve work?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, the, the name of the company, Tailored Thinking, is around the fact that we should be tailoring um, our strengths and our passions around the work that we do, rather than the other way around. So that's kind of how the business came about. And I came across job crafting when I was studying for a master's in positive psychology. So I, my background's in HR, and I've had a number of senior HR roles um, and I was very fortunate to be offered a job at the University of Melbourne working working in the field of HR rather than as an academic and when I was in Australia I um, was doing some googling for some reason and positive psychology popped up and I'm a psychology undergraduate but the field didn't exist when I was an undergraduate that kind of um, tells you kind of a little bit about my age when I first studied uh, positive psychology because it's over yeah. years old now as a field but it didn't it didn't exist and I was really drawn to the topic area mm-hmm. and when I, I was very really fortunate that the University of Melbourne had just launched a, um, a leading research centre of positive psychology, um, and they had—I um, was interested in more—and they just launched a master's program. So I got sponsored by by the university I was working for to, to be part of the first cohort there. I thought it was just a, a, amazing in terms of the the, the field of research, which was around optimum functioning and flourishing in different ways, yeah. and particularly the workplace was the one that I was going to be interested in. And as I delved kind of deeper into the research around kind of what, what made the component parts of great work, of, of good jobs and high performance, it, mm-hmm. time and time again, it came back to these kind of factors around people having autonomy in terms of inflexibility in terms, in terms of how they're shaping their work. It came down to the fact that people, there was clear purpose and meaning to the work that people were doing and often being mm-hmm. involved to kind of other people as well. So those, those kind of three component parts kept coming up. And I was really then fascinated about for my final project within within the masters program, was around how could you bring this to life, like bring, yeah. create those kind of component parts. Because it spoke to me practically, thinking my best experiences in my projects, yeah, in yeah. jobs, all those things were there. So I was like, how can we do this? And that's when I, I I stumbled across job crafting as a concept, and it was very early in the field in terms of kind of the, the, the papers in the space. And I was just curious about kind of actually, does this work? There hadn't been mm. any intervention studies at that point in time, so all the all the research had been through surveys in terms of saying do you you know jane or Jane's, do you job craft and is it related to positive outcomes and yeah. the research was saying yes it does so if you tended to job craft you tended to report high levels of um kind of well-being and uh, performance but no one at that time had um actually designed interventions to, to bring it to life so cool. i that's what i wanted to do and so on the without telling anyone or not asking for permission at the university of melbourne and my kind of my lunch time i just started um, nice. offering some workshops to see if they uh, yes. evaluated them to see whether people would be interested in them i didn't call them job crafting at the time i talked to them i designed i said are these these are designed to make your your work better so you're interested in making right. yourself kind of work your work better and the and I, I collected data which we could have subsequently evaluated and published some of it with with colleagues at melbourne but the um the workshops were were an amazing success in the fact that we had I wanted to get about sixty people just as a proof of concept to see if it works and get some early data. And I had to stop them when the two hundred people kind of I had got two hundred people signed up for them. The people were just referring other people to come along to them. And I had one session where we had a table of, around there at the university. And the mm-hmm. university is a great place to, to work and to be on. And there are so many different variety of different professionals you have there. And we had mm-hmm. one table that I remember sitting on with a group. And it had a cleaner there, a technician oh, wow. and a rocket scientist. Like in terms Amazing. Of the, the rocket right? practice, what a in terms of, And they were all talking about how they could use job crafting to, yes. to, to, to make positive changes in terms of their job in different, in different ways. And, that's fabulous. And they're kind of the, the and basically the the outcomes from that showed that people can could, could do it there were people mm-hmm. who were really interested in it and I started asking other people who asked me to kind of speak about this and do a bit more kind of work on this area and so mm-hmm. when I came back to the u k for personal reasons like four and a half years ago now, I had a choice yeah. of saying right do I go into a kind of a senior HR role or do I go back to my roots and I started life as a consultant um to kind of actually um do something differently and that's the path i've, I've chosen and that's when and you know, tailored Thinking was was born. And so although we do wider work around wellbeing and we do wider work around um kind of positive psychology and kind of interventions more broadly, the area that I'm mm-hmm. my deep passion within that, even more my kind of nerdier specialist subject, is is this idea of job crafting and bringing it to bring it to life. And I've been lucky enough to work with some amazing organizations in lots of different sectors to to do that so
0: yeah yeah that's fabulous and and, you know there's so much stuff in there I've written down a few things you you talked about um, loosely a a sense of flow in our work the role of autonomy some purpose some of that socialness that that sort of aspect of drive that comes together and and I love the idea of having that um, difference in functional roles and and the the different people around the table all benefiting from this idea of of job crafting it makes it feel that it's quite a universal thing and I think that for me there's something interesting in the idea that that, you know, autonomy is empowering in itself and then job crafting is in some ways another semi-autonomous uh, action that we can take. So my guess is there's something sort of cyclical in there, which is really, really powerful. I guess I, as, a, as a question, do you think that there's something wrong with the way that we design work? Or do, or do you think that whenever we are in roles, whatever those roles are, we benefit from, from seeking to impose some of our identity and to change and to evolve our jobs as we grow does
2: that make sense as a question? It does make sense as a question. And I think, actually, James, we, we don't design roles anymore. I think it, it was kind of fallen out of favour. It used to be, you know, in the 1970s and 80s, there was a bit of research around job design and kind of how to do mm-hmm. it. Well. And then since then, since we can kind of produce job descriptions on Word documents, I think we've just felt that we could just do it and that's it. And so sure. I don't think we do actually in most organisations deliberately design jobs. We tend to kind of Think we've got 35 hours how can we fill this up with tasks and activities so i kind of yeah there's not many organizations that i at least i engage with that, that actually talk about deliberate design in terms of the work that they, they do they talk about competencies and behaviors which are, which are important but they don't actually focus yeah. on and i wonder kind of, i'm speaking out loud whether we've we, we should be kind of actually mm. more focused on on being deliberate in terms of how we're designing jobs, um, and I've got some, you know, ideas mm-hmm. about that, that I'm thinking about at the moment. So, in terms of, so that's one point in terms of design. But I do think absolutely yeah. that if you've given your job, if you allow people mm-hmm. to personalise it or feel that they have some of them, they've had that an opportunity rather than being imposed on them, they've had the opportunity to to, to shape it in a way. Then that yeah. the kind of benefits in terms of not only kind of how that person is kind of feelings about the job, but also again this is based back by evidence but also kind of practice that people tend to perform better they tend to kind of want to stay in that role longer they're less likely to leave because it's not if you're kind of you're giving someone what kind of a a boxed in role effectively you can Mm -hmm. pop that out for another job somewhere else potentially because if actually you allow someone to spend some time designing it for themselves even in small ways um, and less likely to want to kind of just immediately give that up because the question is well can I create something like this in another world yeah. also, am I going to be afforded the same opportunities that might be able to to, to, to be able to do that? And um, I, there's kind of there's there's research related to kind of personalization that I think is applicable and relevant to that, which I can talk about if you if you want, or we can pick up later. Yeah,
0: well, we might we might come back to it. I guess <clears throat> one of the things that really sticks in my mind that, that I think is really helpful within this is the fact that you know we are dynamic beings, so we might go in to run one role as one person. And in six months, we're another person and the context that we're in is another context and our environments change and, and the work that we do changes. So that evolutionary nature of work seems intuitively sensible to me. Um, if I if I move forward a little bit, in, in some of the things you, you, that you do, you talk about this the sort of long tail of scientific management. Can you say a little bit more about that and what that means to you?
2: Yeah. So again, looking at this idea of job design and how we, you know, why we design and create jobs in the way that we do. I, went, I was really curious about this and went back to kind of look at the, the kind of the research and the origins of of how different organisations are kind of set up, and most if you were to kind of get an organisational chart now of a kind of a hierarchy, you can almost imagine it in your head, can't you? Someone at the top and lots of different kind of people to feed underneath it. Yeah, a lovely pyramid yeah, going down. Exactly, all those. Yeah, and I think if you, well, I've done this sometimes in some some, some workshops, and, and Aaron Dignan, who inspired me to kind of dig this out, who's um, kind of writes on this kind of area as well you can put graphs in front of people and of organizations that exist today and 100 and 120 years ago and they're exactly the same in terms of that kind of yeah. that kind of structure and yeah. so there is in the nature of that the idea of the kind of the better ideas flow downward in that organization that again it encourages people to think about kind of the effective organizations effective leaders are those that are able to make the best decisions for other people so in terms mm-hmm. of again it's the idea of the, the more senior you are, the more you're controlling the people below you, and that's kind of how it, how it works. And I think when I'm talking about the long tail of scientific management is that in most organizations, intuitively, if you speak to people, that's kind of the, the, the makeup that they see in terms of the role of leadership. And that's how they see the role of the kind of, the structure and hierarchy of organizations is that the best ideas are the ones that sat within those senior leaders as it were yeah. and over time for somehow you know so through some magical rite of passage you get better and better ideas for example just for, you know the older you get spending more time in organizations and of course we we do get good ideas but they they, they happen everywhere in terms of in terms of an organization and so i in terms of the long tail specifically i think in terms of a lot of the management techniques that are kind of shared with people in terms of the um kind of the hierarchical top-down approaches to things these are these are all things that we've kind of seen in maybe in the organizations that, that we've worked in or through kind of training and management programs that we've been developed on. So that's kind of yeah. the points that we're seeing now can be traced back to the, you know, the start of the um, industrial revolution and, you know, 200, 200 years um, ago. So that's why I talk about the long tower is that the, the thinking then Taylorism and all the kind of research around that still exists in the, um, is very real and uh, prominent in organizations today. Not all of them, but in, in a lot of them without even maybe them realizing it as well.
1: Wow, so so I'm really interested to know. You've obviously worked with lots of organisations on this. What do you see as improving when organisations make this space for job crafting? What 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 tangible results do you see organisations achieve?
2: That's a great, great question, Jane, and it's differently every time. So I think I would i I should be able to say to you that you do this and this this happens. And one of the things I love about job crafting is the fact that in any kind of experimentation, you don't quite know what's going to happen as a consequence of it. But what we have kind of consistently found and I always kind of collect data kind of pre and post in terms of any of the, the interventions I do with, with organizations um is I measure kind of a number of different factors and we've all of them today that I've seen have had um an impact in terms of people's kind of well being, in terms of looking at kind of career development and satisfaction within within the organization and a sense of control and performance in their in their job. So all those kind of needles have, have moved and different aspects in slightly different ways in different organisations. And the other thing that we've, that I found in terms of, and I can give you some specific stories in a, in a second, Jane, if that helps. The other thing that i found um, worked with, with organisations is, is actually tangible benefits of those. So we haven't collected them every organisation that I've worked with, because they just haven't always been available. But we've also seen things such as um, turnover, kind of um, having a um, positive impact in terms of reducing, reducing negative turnover. And, and things such as engagement as well for engagement schools. So we've been able to see a, um, a relationship between job crafting interventions and um, organizational schools around engagement, but also this is a great place I'd like to work. This is a place I'd recommend to my friends. And, and again, and um, to, um, to be open with everyone on the podcast. um you can't always, it's impossible to, to create causation with any of these things. But what we always try to do, strive to do is saying, these are the things we wanna measure beforehand. This is what we're hoping, based on all the evidence and experience is gonna make a difference and then measure and see if the differences happen as it were. So um, can't I can't hand on heart say it's all down to the job crafting kind of work that we do, but I can say that with the, with the impact um, that we have, it shows that the, the intervention is related to positive impacts on organisations.
1: Great, and you mentioned you. If I if I nudged you, you might give me a story or two. Have you got maybe one story of um, without naming any names, what you've seen in an organisation?
2: Yeah, there's, okay, I've got hundreds. This is where it gets difficult in terms of the situation. So, if, one go of the- on, pick the- your favourite. Oh, okay. Do you want to talk about kind of outcomes for an organisation, or stories of people job crafting, or both? What would be useful?
1: I think I think what would be really helpful at this stage is just about an organisation and how it's worked for them as as a whole.
2: Yeah, sure. So one organisation that kind of comes to mind is um, Connect Health, who is a, um, an organisation based in the northeast that I've, I did some work with, um, and they are a physiotherapy um, organisations. So they provide musculoskeletal support to Across the UK, they, the, the UK's largest provider of that. So they support the NHS, but they also provide support to, to organisations as well as an outsourced kind of programme. If you need, if you've got problems with your back or mobility, you might be referred to someone who works at Connect Health. And they were um, physiotherapists, a very kind of specialist group where they're kind of high demand for their, their skills across kind of the globe, actually. So it's a very competitive space. And they were interested in terms of and making themselves distinctive as an employer um to try and retain physiotherapists and, and attract physios as well and make them kind of more satisfied with their work that they did so through the the work we did had a couple of phases the first phase was to test the concept so in terms of job crafting did it actually work with the organization and, and we I tend to get people to 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 pick um two or three groups to test it out on in terms of does your crafting resonate with the organization because if it doesn't then there's no point in really investing significantly in it and um, so we did some work with the HR team who we thought would be the the endorsers we did some work with the HR team who were sorry the um the, the finance team and the tech, IT team who are seen to be the sceptics I don't know why but the finance and IT teams continually always be seen as the sceptics when it comes to people and initiatives and we tend- you know what my,
0: my whole background is a, as an accountant working in finance so I I'll stick my hand up and say absolutely
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think mean, it's good I'm always happy to have the sceptics and then um, we tried it with the videos themselves to see if it worked and so we did the we did a kind of intervention where we actually trained them about job crafting and encouraged them to to experiment. And we found that um, 80 uh, 89% of people within within that group had actually applied job crafting. We went back to them a month later, and 100% of the people that that we did these 60 employees would recommend the the kind of um, other their colleagues in learning about this this job crafting intervention. So it gave us a great mandate and some lovely stories in terms of how they're job crafted that we could give to the senior team. And we then kind of thought about what's the best way of rolling this out to an organisation. It could be through training, or it could be through other interventions. And what we struck upon was the fact that they were redesigning their um performance and um, appraisal kind of a process from going from an annual review which a lot of organizations are doing to and um, it being um uh quarterly kind of check-ins and discussions and we every we designed a framework a conversation kind of framework that managers and individuals could have every quarter around a different theme for job crafting so job crafting tends to be done in kind of one of five ways um around tasks around relationships around skills purpose and, and wellbeing it's itself. And so every quarter we had a different wellbeing theme and discussion. And we then evaluated the, the kind of impact of these discussions a month, sorry, a year later from having done the intervention. And we found some, some outcomes there, such as um, a 16% increase in terms of um, rating it as a great place to work. So it went up to 91% for them. There was 11% increase in a healthy place to work. And they saved 4,900 days of sickness absence related to half a million savings that calculated and um, and the thing that i was most pleased about in terms of from all this was a quote that um one of the employees gave uh, as a other feedback um that we collected from it and, it's, and they said um i've just got this in front of me actually so it said it's great to know that i'm not just seen as a number or a means to get work done by the business you value me being me and that's kind of that's kind of um I'm getting kind of like goosebumps just reading that. That's in hugely fact, powerful, that, isn't it? The fact that this is what I do, like this is why I want to do what I want to do. Um, and so that's the, yeah, that's one specific example of um, Connect Health. And we were lucky enough actually through this um, through this project, we submitted it for the CIPDs uh, as part of our assessment for uh, consultancy of the year. And we were lucky enough to be awarded kind of HR consultancy of the year. Taylor totally think we were named consultancy of the year in 2000, for 2000 in, in October. So that was... Um, really exciting but I was more excited by the fact that it was down to a job crafting project that was kind of the heart of that submission
1: that's fantastic and you mentioned in there you've you've beautifully segued on to the next what I was going to ask you next which is you mentioned very quickly there the different types of job crafting that you talk uh yeah, did
2: you write them down yet? And I was going to can I test you on them now
1: no because I think I've only got four, <laughs> I, think I, I think I only caught four of them so could you would you mind just running through them and just say maybe in one sentence what the differences
2: are yeah, sure. So job crafting can be done in different ways, but when you kind of look at them thematically, they, you can kind of break them into four different parts. So one's around tasks and activities that, people, that people, people do. The second is around skills. So it's around the, the um, skills and knowledge and learning that people may do in the, the role of the developing new skills, refining skills and knowledge. And the third is around purpose. So the purpose that people have and meaning in the work that they do. The fourth is relationship and the fifth is well being. So I may not have given you all those five if we play back the recording, Jane. So so, and, so I think you've passed the test of at least. I think that you're right.
1: I think you did give me them all. I think I just uh, I was I was okay. I was trying to think so hard, I couldn't keep up with you. Um so so when you think about uh an organization or an individual taking on, they've gone to a workshop, they've heard about job crafting, they've learned a little bit um about the basics about how they might go about it. What does it actually take to do it well? What conditions need to be in place in that organisational team or with that manager to ensure that person can actually do it and feel the benefits?
2: Yeah, so that's a great, they're fantastic questions. And the questions I need to I ask organisations in the first instance to make sure these kind of things are available because if they're not, it won't, it won't work in terms of my, in my experience. So the first thing is people need the space for reflection. So that's the kind of number one thing. And the number two is the kind of encouragement to actually craft and experiment themselves. So that's the kind of that's, that's that's kind of a second thing, and and number three is probably the tools to be able to do it to do it themselves. What we find in terms of um, where we've had pockets in organisations that people say haven't, when we've we've checked in terms of whether people have applied job crafting or not, and not everyone does it, not everyone wants to do it. It's a choice. It has to come from the individual. But occasionally you might find certain teams where they're saying there's a black spot there in that team. Why has that not happened? And it's because effectively maybe the lead the leadership is just not bought into this as an idea in terms of of enabling people to, to to kind of craft their job so the immediate leader and the environment that someone works in is it's tremendously significant in terms of the of whether people can can do it or not and that's why it's important to get the kind of leaders involved in the process and understand what's going on as well in terms of the the, the process and i think the other thing that i would say is is important is around if we can kind of culturally is ensure that there is that endorsement support for it. So it's not just a local HR intervention or it's not something you're doing at team level, but actually organisationally, this is something that you're encouraged and celebrated to, to do. And the way that I, I try to to kind of seed that with an organisation is to run kind of um, workshops with the senior leadership team as well and collect stories that are then shared so not only does that give the leadership team an understanding and comfort about what you're doing in terms of job crafting, that people aren't going to be saying radically kind of redesign their jobs in un- unhelpful ways. But also it then means that you can in workshops or sessions you're doing and saying this is how the chief finance officer crafted their job, for example. And you're not labouring it, but just dropping that in so that can give people some something. Actually, this is something I want to do because this is the senior management doing as well
0: that sort of um uh, mention of sponsorship and role modeling and what leaders pay attention to is so powerful in the sort of culture change and changing ways of working and behaviors um is is there is there a dark side to job crafting is there is there a challenge around it is there anything else that we need to think about when we think about job crafting
2: yeah i, th- I think well a couple of things i think the dark side is that if it, if you kind of encourage it in one hand but don't actually enable it to happen people feel worse than if they that learned about in the first instance, if that makes sure. sense, there's nothing worse than being told to do something and not actually being able to to do it. So that's one thing to, to bear in mind. The second thing in terms of um, job two or two, two other things come to mind. So one mm-hmm. is the fact that you don't always kind of your, your outcomes of your job crafting experiment may not be what you, you expect them to be. So one specific example that sure. comes to mind is that someone um, tried to craft their job in the fact that they were working too many long hours and they wanted to kind of reduce those hours. They said, right, I'm not going to work any, um evenings i'm not going to open my computer so they went from kind of doing it all the time to not doing it at all and they mm-hmm. were kind of successful in that but actually what they found was that they, that stressed them out a little bit in terms of not being able to keep on top of that that work and and actually made they felt worse than if they'd and they felt guilty of letting their team down so what they decided to do when we kind of came back is saying that's still a, a, something i wanted to do in terms of dial down my work but actually what i should you know maybe a more an easier way for me to do this is um to do it two days a week, for example. So I think that's you should always keep be open-minded about actually whether this is going to be something that, that's going to work for you. The other thing to bear in mind is that most people, the majority of people in their craft, add things to their jobs because that's the easier thing to do. So you're piling <laughs> yes. And again, if you're Kind of, your challenge your kind of you a lot of demands in your job anyway. Is, is that you is know is that sustainable? Is that actually going to help you in a, in a certain sense? In a certain yeah. Way? And the other, and of thing,
0: course, sorry. I was just going to say, taking stuff away from your job is always harder to do. To feel really empowered to do that, I mean, that that's a very difficult thing. that needs engagement
2: with your. And it's a really, really interesting area of research in the fact that. It's called it kind of within technically the academic sense it's it's called avoidance crafting, so it's kind of like actually demanding okay. those demands and actually not many people do it and oh. in some instances mm-hmm. it has been related to negative outcomes so when people oh, right. when people take things away from their jobs they have actually felt worse about it, but they have they might perform indicate performing better, but they feel worse about it and we got fascinating we don't know why that is but the 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 I was talking to a to um a researcher Uta binda who's done fantastic work in this area and one of the areas that we kind of we came upon when we were talking about this was that maybe people felt guilty about this yeah. so actually it was actually a sense of guilt that they weren't pulling their weight effectively or not able to perform well in their job because they were having yeah. to, to reduce it so it was rather than it being the job problem it was them as an individual feeling it was you know their lack of ability to succeed in that role so it was a really fascinating. i don't you know that's I mean,
0: hugely fascinating it's a topic one of the things that i was i was listening to people speak about a while ago was uh, our sort of our relationship with time and our relationship with busyness now and and something that struck me in the conversation that they had is they said that predominantly at least pre-covid whenever you ask somebody how are you doing the default response tends to be yeah i'm good busy right so we've sort of equated this sense of busyness in our lives with a sense of societal value or success and and so i my my gut feeling as a, as a layperson person here is that when we're getting rid of things we're sort of diminishing that sense of of uh, being valued by others to some extent. But but I, I, I truly believe that there is a role within workplaces for the successful elimination of unnecessary work and then the avoidance and the managing of service levels and all that stuff that leads to huge benefits for organisations. But maybe there's a, a, a sort of an emotional individual cost associated with it.
2: I love that. I love that. I, I think we could um, we could spend probably another podcast unpacking that. But I think there is an emotion, the emotional cost, I think, is a great way of framing it and, and looking at it. And I think, again, we're really not very good at, as humans. And and for humans, we're humans in the workplace as well. It's kind of stopping doing things and taking things, at, you know, part resting and recovery or kind of um, doing anything where we're not feeling we're kind of building and moving towards things, adding things on. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you're spot on there. It's really fascinating. There was um,
0: you know, I was listening to I guess this is a, a, a grasp of an analogy. I was listening to Kate Rayworth speak about economics the other day, and one of the things that she spoke about in reference to economics was this historic view or maybe still fairly prevalent view that growth is the right thing for us to do. And and so we've got this sort of belief across societies and and economies that growth is the sort of panacea and we can grow our way out of all kinds of problems. And one of the things that she said is actually one of the reasons that that she and other economists think that that's the case is that from the sort of uh, early stages of our lives as humans and when we look at young people Growth is such a defining factor for the success of an individual. We want to grow, we want to develop. And that inhabits in so much of a first start of our lives that we just instinctively think about as a good thing. And my guess is there's something in that with our roles as well, where we think that taking on more is is the natural trajectory. of things.
2: Yeah, I love that. In terms, and also, the, this is just another spark in my mind, the thoughts about, say, the growth mindset within positive psychology, which I think is enormously yeah. positive in terms of us as individuals we can grow and develop. But again, it's baked into that, is the idea that that's what we should all do and aspire to. And one yeah. of the um, people that again I was in my master's program, who I was really benefited to kind of um, some amazing people, and one of them was Ash Buchanan, and he was he's developed this idea of a benefit mindset, which links very nicely with Kate Rowan oh, well, as well in terms of actually what we should be thinking about, actually how we benefiting in terms of and contributing to ourselves Fabulous. through our work. So for yeah. people who are listening to this, or curious, I'd definitely have a look at the benefit and mindset and Ash's work, which I thought was was phenomenal to be. G- gen- gen- gently and positively kind of challenging this kind of growth mindset a- approach which I think is yeah. enormously beneficial in some respects but it does feed into that narr- narrative as you've just said James at all about it.
0: Yeah that's lovely I think there's something in that donut about the sustainable resources that we have as individuals to contribute to our work as well which is a total side conversation so I'm going to bring us back on track because I got a bit carried away there. Um, let's jump on and talk a little bit about what we can do to actually implement job crafting a little bit more in our organisations. My sense is that you know, some uh, leaders of teams or organizations might be listening to this and, and might feel that starting this might be hard or having these conversations might be hard. So what kind of organizations find it easiest to implement job crafting, would you say?
2: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I haven't got a great answer for it. It's a great question, but I haven't got a good answer. I think that the organizations that I've had greater success with are kind of are people focused and they're they're confident and able to have a kind of more of an open exploratory conversation with their, with their employees and not kind of worried about that in terms of asking questions about actually, what are the things that you like and don't like about your job? Kind of encouraging those conversations or at least that reflection. So recognizing that actually everyone probably things about their job they don't enjoy doing and but being open and receptive to people having those kind of thoughts and observations and discussions. Um, and I think the other thing that I would say in terms of um, organizations, it's around, um, in, enabling and encouraging people to kind of experiment a little bit and try things out and within within parameters and but being exploratory and and then learning from that in terms of saying it might work it may not work and having a a small tolerance of risk i suppose in terms of um allowing the individuals to craft those to craft those jobs so that's kind of two two factors i'd say um
1: i guess i I would love to pretend that all the organizations and all the clients we've worked with and worked, all the organizations we've worked in are amazing and brilliant and perfect and always really open to new stuff. But our listeners will know that's not always entirely the case. And I guess I was just really interested to know about your experiences of resistance when you've gone into organizations looking to support them with implementing job craft and how that's shown up and, and whether there's you know, whether there's a trend in whether it's managers or specific departments or whether it's from HR and and what you do to try and help them move forward and make space for job crafting.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think also I'd say if there's if people aren't sceptical about this, I'd be a bit worried as well, because if you're trying something new, I want people to be sceptical and curious, you know, curious about it. And actually, I was at a meeting recently with a with a senior kind of leadership team where the HR team, kind of had, because they had such buying from the HR person, it was kind of like, yes, we'll do this i was presenting but i had no pushback or challenge and i just had to create the space for this because most there'll be at least one or two people in the room were kind of saying no really is this going to going to work actually should be getting should be allowing these individuals to be to be redesigning their work so i think we absolutely need to to encourage people to reflect on on it and i welcome i know in a way i welcome it and what i do to go kind of this there's four ways that i I tend to kind of placate managers in terms of um, or, or leaders who may be concerned about it. And generally, they're concerned that people are going to get sidetracked or go or stop doing core and critical functions of their role and, and just cherry pick effectively things that they individually like doing. And so they're worried about the kind of the impact on the on the business or the customers they serve. And the four the four things i do is that first of all i generally encourage people to start really small with job crafting people tend to do this anyway most people naturally in the kind of in the wild craft in small ways rather than big ways and by small ways i mean um something about say um 10 minutes a day or an hour a week or something and i've done some work kind of coding and analyzing people's kind of um job crafting behaviors and that's what tends to be so it's 10 people tend to do it small and the second thing is that when i'm doing my training i tend to get people to think about the job crafting and put kind of um guiding principles in place in terms of good job crafting behavior and the first is that you need to think about how is it going to impact on you as an individual and comes back to the point about okay, is this idea that you have actually sustainable and realistic and achievable with this idea that most of us add on to our, our jobs the second is that is this something actually going to negatively impact on your colleague? So, if you're a salesperson and you decide I hate doing the CRM system, you know, updating the system to say who I've spoken about and the and the lead that I've got, that if you did that for everyone, the kind of organisation you'd lose a lot of knowledge and everyone would kind of not benefit from it. So, it's you couldn't just stop doing that. You might be able to swap that task with someone else or find a better way of doing it, but you couldn't just stop all you know, altogether without having a negative impact on your colleague. And then lastly, thinking about actually, to what extent does this? kind of job crafting experiment kind of contribute to or move away from the kind of the purpose of the team or the wider organization so think about the in the context of what your your job is or in terms of the work that you do as an organization is your job crafting behavior kind of moving towards that and moving away from it and this doesn't mean to say that if it's kind of moving away from it you shouldn't necessarily do it but you should definitely do it with your eyes open and probably make sure you're discussing it with your manager as well in terms of in terms of what you're doing does that help
1: yeah, that makes that makes complete sense. Thank you. Um, you talked a little bit there about sort of some of the things that, well, that, let's say the skepticism, but I also know that we'll have uh, a huge number of listeners who are managers of smallish teams and are thinking, okay, I'm in quite a hierarchical organization. I probably don't have the credibility to start challenging the way we do things altogether, but I, I'd like to help my team um, be able to start thinking about it what are the practical things that you think they could go away and do this weekend and say, okay, I think that if I did these two or three things, it might start the conversation or we, we as a team might be able to think about this stuff?
2: Yeah, sure. So there's a couple of things. So first of all, the kind of a great conversation with someone is just saying, I want everyone to just reflect on on their job and how they're finding it at the moment and what are the things that are kind of actually filling people up with energy at the moment. I find energy a really useful kind of um, uh, concept to kind of look at because most people can kind of grasp it is what are the things that are giving you energy your job today and what are the things that are, are really taking your way energy away from you and then kind of having from that having that reflection and discussion and if you do this as a team it can be fantastic in terms of actually getting people to share and explore what are the things that are energy givers and energy kind of diminishes for some people they might be very different and for some people their teams they might be exactly the same and actually if everyone is saying this same thing is kind of draining all of us of energy. It's a time to think about actually: is there something you can do about that one thing to redesign it, or to to reduce it, or buffer it from some the, the kind of the, the, that that challenge from some people in some in some ways. It may not be possible, but it's useful to reflect on. So get people to have that, that exercise, and then the kind of second step, and this is kind of, it's super simple, um, but it's but it takes energy and effort from the path of the individual. So I'm not saying it's it's necessarily easy to do, but it is a simple idea. It's just saying right: if you could. Pick one of those ideas, something that takes away your energy or and gives you energy. is there something a small positive step you can do to kind of actually um, kind of mitigate that that negative um, aspect of your job in terms of make it better in some small way, or is there a way you can amplify the the thing that you enjoy doing so doing more of that that work so if, for example, I did some work recently with someone who um Worked in a customer services kind of role, and they enjoyed doing data and collecting kind of data and analytics. And it wasn't something that was called cool to their role, but what they wanted to do is actually spend some more time looking at the the um, the statistics and, and the information that they were collecting in terms of their um, customer services logs and and running some reports and for the team in terms of those data. So it kind of fed into that behavior. And similarly, another person uh, on a session was saying actually one of the things they hated doing was um, writing up and formal minutes from meetings in terms of kind of action points and stuff. They just found it really it kind of just it could have drain, a massive drainer from them in terms of them. And they just asked their manager, they'd never done this before, is whether they could just frame them in a different way and just focus on action points for a meeting rather than like a summary of what they've done. And it was one of those things that everyone had just done for years, have just made these kind of notes of the meetings and then the action points. That no one had ever kind of challenged. That it was just something that a learned behaviour that everyone had just done. And then everyone was like, Yeah, that's a really good idea, just do that. So and that's a really obvious idea. And they're they're in some, something in plain sight. But most people, if you encourage them to say, How could you make your job better? What's an experiment you can do? Most people will have an idea and um, to do it.
0: Well, that's fabulous. Thank you. And and I love the idea of that sort of simplicity. It's just challenging. These things that we all find ourselves doing because we, we like to follow other people and, you know, cons- consistently do things the way they've been done before. So that's a great way to challenge. Um, I think uh, in the interest of time, we're going to wrap stuff up here. But what I'd like to do as we check out is just to ask, is there any way people can learn a little bit more about you? And also, how might be uh, people be able to read your book and, and learn a little bit more about what you say in there?
2: yeah great so my thanks so much for the um the invitation so the book is personalization at work and it's spelt with a with a z um, and <clears> you can um get that in all good and evil kind of bookshops <laughs> behind, or kind of um or in, in hard bookshops in normal kind of traditional bookshops if that you're available to get there and um, i'm on social media so if you find looking for rob baker or tailored thinking we're on kind of um, linkedin and um uh, Twitter and other things so, to do that I mean, and then people can just find my details and, and if generally if they're curious, they can just email me or contact me, and I'll be always happy to kind of respond and share what I know in this kind of field to to bring um positive psychology and, and job crafting to life with an organization so um just just get in touch
0: fantastic okay, well, thank you so much for that Rob that was an excellent conversation, and loads of great advice for people and interesting as well, so thank you very much for
2: me,
1: yep, and thank you for me
2: and um, thank you very much that was great fun. Okay, so
0: that was our conversation with Rob, and you are back in the room with Jane and myself. Um, Jane, I thought that was a great conversation. I thought we covered a lot of really good, helpful, uh, insightful, practical, and theoretical stuff about job crafting there. Was there anything that stood out for you or anything you'd like to reflect on?
1: Yeah, there are there are a couple of things, actually, and I'm might i I'm not sure if this is stealing one of your points or not, but I'm going to say it anyway. So one of the things I really liked is his uh, evidence-based approach, and I kind of wanted to mention that because... Uh, one of our future guests is Professor Rob Beiner, who is, I think, one of the founders of the yeah. evidence based research in management. HR, yeah, yeah. Okay. In HR, that's it. And so uh, I kind of really liked hearing about how he goes about his evidence, like understanding his evidence base. So I thought that was really good. But the thing, I, as always, James, the things that stick with me the most are the things that are the most reassuring for people to give it a go. Yeah. So the fact that he was talking about. Not being frightened of having a go at small job crafting or finding small ways. We talked a lot about micro crafting on mm-hmm. uh, the other episode we did on job crafting, and I really, I, I think, I think managers do worry that people are just going to go, "Oh, I don't want to do this bit of work anymore." But actually, it's yeah. a much more nuanced experience of, yeah, of yeah. controlling your work. So, I guess that's mine.
0: Well, that's great. I, I think there's some good stuff in there. I've got a couple of little reflections that I thought were interesting. One is. The fact that sort of comes across in this is, is how easy it is to, it, it's, it seems to me at least, to habituate to our roles and just to get used to what what's there and that normality and do things as a routine sort of autopilot. And I love the idea of being given permission to to shake that up a little bit and look at it and say, okay, well, how can we tweak that? How can we change it? How can we craft it? How can we evolve it? And I think there's something really powerful in that, just in, in itself, the, the ability to challenge that status quo is, is such a helpful thing. And another thing that Rob spoke about, but I think we've touched on sometimes, if not here, then in some of our, our courses and seminars is the uh, the importance of experimentation in our roles. So I love the fact that he said, just, you know, pick something, think of something small that might help you have a better experience at work and test it. You know, maybe I have a little hypothesis. If I do things in a different way, it'll lead to a better work experience for me and more productivity. Let's go out and trial that. Let's treat that as an experiment. If it works great, let's keep it. If it doesn't, let's go on and try something else. And there's a success in that experiment, even if the outcome of that success is disproving a hypothesis. So I think there's some really good stuff in there. Um, So yeah, I think that's it. That was our uh, latest conversation on job crafting. I think we'll probably chat to Rob again. Um, And until next time, it is goodbye from me.
1: Yeah, and it's a a goodbye and uh, good luck from me. Hi everyone, this is James. Uh, Thank you very much for listening to that podcast and
0: please do share it and review it if you enjoyed it. And don't forget, you can learn more about our coaching, workshops, courses, and development programs on our website. That's www.worldofwork.io. Again, www.worldofwork.io.